Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford, and I have Parkinson's disease. I'm in Kyoto, Japan, covering the World Parkinson Congress, all queued up on a Friday morning in the middle of morning rush with businessmen in suits, kids in their school uniforms, and we're packed full like sardines into the subway car. One of those is fellow Canadian Tim Haig. I've interviewed Tim several times, but getting to know him and his wife Cheryl was a real pleasure. They sat down with my wife Rebecca and me to reflect on their experiences at WPC. I'm Cheryl Haig. And I'm Tim Haig. I'm Rebecca Gifford. And I'm Larry Gifford. This is 60 Minutes. No. (laughs) (laughs) What has Parkinson's given you? What has it added to your life? Oh, my. I think uh, for us as a couple, it has helped us to eliminate needless um, problems and issues in our our marriage. We have just kind of honed in on what's really important and um, how important we are to each other. Um, But it has brought so much into our lives as far as um, people that we've met, opportunities that we've had. Um, We just feel so blessed. And then especially, you know, just the opportunity to see um, not just people with Parkinson's, but so many people around the world that have so much less than we do. Um, It makes us very, very grateful for what we have, even with the Parkinson's. Well, at some point it gets a little embarrassing. Because I, I like to say that Parkinson's has given me far more than it's taken. And that, that is very much a reality. I mean, Parkinson's gave me the amazing race. The amazing race gave us a huge financial payout in winning it, right? It has, in, in winning the race, that threw open the door to speaking. That, that threw open the door to writing a book. And I mean, it's... Parkinson's has been a massive blessing in our life. And that's really difficult to wrap your head around because I hate Parkinson's. I hate it with a passion. And as I often say when I speak, there's not been a single day I've ever woke up and thought that I was happy to have Parkinson's. And yet, if I didn't have Parkinson's, I'd probably still be a nurse, pulling a day job, not sitting in Kyoto, Japan, not having done any of the things that I've had the opportunity to do these last eight years. So balance that for me. Figure out the the scales on that one. Because it's way out of whack that this lousy freaking disease has given us so, so much. 
Yeah, and I would like to ask you the same question. What have you seen in your life that has, um, what, what, how do you feel like Parkinson's has given you or has it taken more away from you? I think we're still early in our journey, so we're still coming to terms with some of the ways that it will affect us and not necessarily a, um, an outwardly happy way. Um, but that said, we're also smack dab in, in gratitude for the opportunities, um, the, a new community, fantastic people, opportunities for growth. It's um, Parkinson's or, or any any challenge in life, but, and, but diseases in general and Parkinson's in very specific kinds of ways kind of magnifies the things you need to work on on yourself um, and maybe your relationship with your family or your spouse or your child or whatever it it offers you an opportunity to just puts the spotlight on it and and ramps everything up and so it was like okay here's an opportunity for us to work on that and that then growth comes with that it's a it's an aspect of growth for us and our child as you pointed out before that um, that we wouldn't have otherwise and things like we get to you know we we went to Japan for the World Parkinson's Congress and and we would have probably not gone to Japan otherwise and it kind of forced us out of our comfort zone in that way and um, and just really beautiful people are part of this community that I would have never met otherwise. I think the other thing for me, well there's several things, but our relationship has become more intimate and uh, our, our communication has always been good uh, and it Parkinson's kind of takes that away from time to time because sometimes we're out of sync. Yeah. Uh, but but we do have much more intimate conversations than we used to have. Uh, and the same is true with my brothers and my sister and my mom, uh, where I've spent a lot more time talking to them at length. Like, I've had longer phone calls with them than I've collectively talked to them over the course of the last 30 years. Uh, and so Parkinson's has brought us closer together as a family. Uh, but it's also created a lot of opportunity for me. You know, I, I didn't go on a reality TV show, but I created my own reality podcast. And, uh, and that so, you know, allowed us to tell our story, not just my story, but, you know, how it's affected our family and the people that we meet and the journey that we've gone through. And it's given me the opportunity to work with the Michael J. Fox Foundation on their patient council and come to Kyoto for the World Parkinson Congress and, and meet, like, a ton of great people uh, and talk to really, like, last night I was out having beers with 12 neurologists. So it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would have never have happened. <laughs> Well, and, and I do, I neglected to mention, because the first thing that came to mind, actually, when you asked, when you started talking about it was the podcast and all the fantastic things that have happened because of the podcast and that, that the whole family is involved in that. It's given us a voice. It's given us a creative outlet. We both find storytelling very important in our professional and personal lives. And this has been a fantastic way to help us process this, get lots of information from wonderful people, meet people and interview people. And, and that's been uh, something that would probably would not have happened, definitely wouldn't have happened. Well, and selfishly, I created the podcast in part because I wanted, I, I had a podcast about radio before, and I, because I was a radio consultant, yeah. and I wanted to learn more about radio and talk to the smart radio people. So I started a podcast and invite them on the podcast so I could talk to them and get to know them. Well, the same thing's true with Parkinson's. I can now call just about anybody in the Parkinson's community in the world at any time and say, wouldn't you be on the podcast? And they're like, yes, I'd love to talk about what I'm doing. And, and, I, and then it becomes like a one-on-one -on -one session with I can just tell them my problems and they can help solve it. For free. <laughs> For free. <laughs> 
a worldwide awesome. community of resources. Awesome. <laughs> but, but, the, but the good news in that is not only does it help you, but it helps the rest of us. It, and it really does, you know, especially, especially young onset. And if coming coming away from the uh, the Congress this week, I, I'm brought full circle back to young onset again, because obviously I was young onset when I was diagnosed, but so many of the so much of the community isn't young onset, and I've learned again. I've been reminded again how lost we can get in the larger community of Parkinson's. But there's a lot of people out there struggling in their 30s, 40s, early 50s who I dare say we sometimes forget about. That their, 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 their situation is so unique, is so very different than the vast majority of people living with Parkinson's. And it's, it's just good. I feel like it's good to be reminded again that I've been given this platform to help those people, to shine a light on what, what we're going through. And I, I, I don't even want to say what we're going through because I, I feel like I'm not in the same boat. I look around and I see folks who are just in way worse off shape than I am. And we've got to find a way to help them. And I think that um, your podcast is a huge part of that. Oh, thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. I guess that I'm curious to pick your brain then what ideas you would have for reaching out to the younger community. We've actually been speaking about that a, a lot, about the the different needs and that they ha- that that community has, that our community has, and that they're not really being met yet. So trying to, I'm brainstorming constantly in these groups, like trying to figure out what then what's needed. Like how do we really do that? How do we engage them? I'll be honest and say I'm not quite sure. Um, because I can't, I feel like I can't t- entirely take my experience and apply it here. Because my experience is one of being in healthcare, so I automatically had information at my fingertips. I, I had uh, an emotional response mechanism that was already built in. I could be my own nurse to some degree, but in, if not, then I knew where to go to get help. I had the financial resources that I needed to get by. You see some people that simply don't. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what we need to do, but I certainly know we need to hear them. Mm-hmm. Because that came through loud and clear this week, that there is a huge emotional response that's vastly different but different between a person who's 70 and being diagnosed or 65 and being do- diagnosed, 60 and diagnosed, and retired, and someone who's 30-something, 40-something and being diagnosed. Their worlds are vastly different. And I am convinced that we are not even scratching the surface in meeting the needs of those people. One of the things that came up uh, recently, and I'd had a lot of conversations and I've thought about it a lot, is like when I got diagnosed, I didn't know anything about it. And they're like, well, it's, good news is it's better than all the others because it's not going to kill you. And the reality is I feel like I'm dying a little bit every month. And, and, I, and I wonder if that's holding back the urgency. Like, is that the, if, if we were able to stop Parkinson's in its track, cap it off so the symptoms don't onset. That's not a cure. So, but we're telling everybody we're looking for a cure. So are we setting ourselves up for continual failure by the narrative we're spinning? And do we need to change the way we talk about what we wanted to have done? Do we need to refocus our efforts around something different than cure? The, the idea of a cure is fantasy because we need individual cures for each one of us. And that's not gonna happen. I feel like uh, when I hear the word cure, I feel like it's almost like a false hope. Um, that it's not going to happen anytime soon in our future. And so I don't even want to go there in my mind because I know that it's probably not ever... I mean, I would love to have a cure, but 
I don't want to focus all my energy there because it's probably not ever going to happen in our lifetime. What I do want to hear is about how do we work through this with our children? How do we plan for leaving our career early? you know, and paying off our mortgage. What kind of resources are there available to us? Yeah, that will loan, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that will help us <laughs> to deal with um, our future because we're, we're in that state. We're right smack in the middle of, of that, right? And I know a lot of people are. And, and where are the resources that will help them to figure out how we raise a family in this, with this disease? Physically, I think you're right, Larry. I, I would be personally far more encouraged to hear that we've fixed dyskinesias rather than this, than this broad cure. I, I would like to know that we've fixed swallowing so that... Uh, I, I watched a gentleman years ago die of aspiration pneumonia because of his Parkinson's. So did he die from Parkinson's? No quote-unquote, no. He died from aspiration pneumonia, but he aspirated because he had Parkinson's. Fix that. I don't want to die that way. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to die from Parkinson's by falling down the steps either. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I think all the good intentions that have gone into finding a cure are to be, uh, quite frankly, lauded. We're, we should say lots of good things about them. But I think what it's taught us is that our journey with Parkinson's and the hundreds of millions of dollars that we spent on Parkinson's research has shown us that a cure, that, that silver bullet that's going to fix everything, is likely not coming soon. But what we can do is that we can target individual pieces of this disease and give us all a better life a step at a time as we work towards a silver bullet cure. And I think that that's okay. I think that the community can step back and say that that's okay, that's something that we've learned, that our, our money hasn't been wasted, hasn't been squandered. We're learning about this disease, we're learning how complicated it really is, and we're learning that we can fix little bits along the way, getting us where we ultimately want to be. And we can endorse that, embrace it, and celebrate the little steps that we make along the way. Tim and I have amazing wives, partners and Parkinson's. Andy Butler was that person for his dad. So you wouldn't have been a traditional caregiver, care partner that most people think about. What do you think of that term? I am I allowed to say, uh, sorry folks, if it's this, this may upset you, the listeners, I absolutely hate it. So when I first met my father's nurse, she said, oh, you're his carer. And I was like, no, I'm his son. I've just told you I'm his son. And she said, so you, you care for him? And I was like, I actually thought she was deaf. I actually thought she, she was having problems hearing me. I went, no, I've just told you I'm his, I'm his son. What do you keep calling me a carer for? Um, and then we had a I had a discussion with her with obviously my father was there and I was like, oh, I don't know whether I'm gonna take to this because I don't consider I'm his carer, I'm his son, and, and in our unit, our family unit, we care for each other. But I wouldn't say that my, my brother's not a carer for his wife or his children. My aunt's not a carer for her husband. Um, so I'm, I, I'm still not overly happy with the word carer, but I know why it's used, I know what it means, and I know it means, that one word means so many different things to so many different people. And that's why it's quite difficult to pin down a, a, proper, a proper 
the word with a word that relates to every single person. I don't think there is going to be one. So what did you learn here at the World Parkinson Park? So basically I like to um, link up with people. For me, it's meeting people, it's talking to them face to face. I'm not really a, I, I mean, I've been to lectures, I've been to round tables, but I don't think they're as popular. I don't get as much from them, like sitting, listening to an hour long lecture. You can't really talk to anyone else or make a noise. You can't really, but you've got to listen. And then as soon as the lecture is over, everyone is rushing off to the next thing. So for me, it's more about like me and you, sitting, talking, conversing, um, learning from each other. Um, and that's what I like about the WPC. Um, round tables, obviously, are a lot, I, I agree with. I like a lot of stuff. Um, there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies, charities that are peddling their wares, if you like, but it has to run on something, so there's give and take, I suppose. So when you're talking to people, um, are there themes that keep coming up here uh, that uh, are maybe an undercurrent to the conference. Mm. How long has the podcast got? So basically, let me give you an example. So the one um, theme everywhere is awareness. I don't know how many countries I have visited, and the first thing that they say to me is, there is not enough awareness there. As we wander around the floor of the convention center, there's booths everywhere, and we are now approaching the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research Booth. This is Allison Boyles, and she is the official title. Of I am Senior Associate Director of Communications. She is a big wig. <laughs> What's Maybe. going on over here? Uh, well, you know, during the entire World Par Parkinson Congress, we've just been engaging with members of the community, trying to get them involved in our online clinical study, which is Fox Insight, also educating them on the importance of research, making it easier for people to navigate clinical trials and giving away some really cool swag. So, Allison, why should I do research? Well, you know, the more people who can participate in research, the closer we're going to get to a cure, the closer we're going to get to better treatments. Tell me about Fox Insight. How do I, how do I get involved? So, you could go to foxinsight.org and sign up there. Anyone over the age of 18 who speaks English can participate. Again, we need people with Parkinson's. We need people without Parkinson's. All you do is you go online, you create a profile, you answer some questions. If you have Parkinson's, it'll ask you a question as simple as do you have Parkinson's yes or no and you go from there and you just fill in some questions about um, the disease or any symptoms that you may have and then every 90 days you're going to get pinged over email to remind you to take another survey and it's really as simple as that you can participate from home anywhere with an internet connection and in fact if you live in the United States and have Parkinson's and are over the age of 18 you can actually be eligible to receive a free spit kit with 23andMe wow thank you yeah of course nice chatting as we've done each day of WPC, we've recruited quite a lively bunch for a roundtable discussion on WPC Day 4 and the conference in general. My name is David Murray, I'm from, I'm from Wales and a very proud Welshman. I, my association with Parkinson's started about 12 years ago when I was first diagnosed. I had always seemed to start to go wrong because I was a bit of a, a, a drummer, a trained drummer. I, I was losing my rhythm and uh, now I know why. Um, been a long journey for me, but um, thankfully I've got a, a, a beautiful, supportive wife who cares me greatly, so we're getting through it together. Hi, I'm Vicky Dillon. I'm 48. I live in the northeast of England and have been diagnosed 12 years, but have had symptoms for 15 years. Recently, been on the GDNF trial. Hi, my name is Benjamin Stetcher. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I'm 34 years old. I was diagnosed about six years ago, and I now travel the world trying to provocate and get researchers to do what I want them to do. Trying to provocate. <laughs> What's the website? Uh, tomorrowedition.com. Hi, I'm Ann Cohn-Donnelly. 
I'm 74 years old. I was diagnosed almost 10 years ago. I'm a member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, and through that council I've been working on ways to make sure patients are more actively involved, not just as subjects in research, but in helping to design and look at the outcomes of research. All right, so we've had four uh, long days in Kyoto, but great days. It's great to see everybody that we see on social media. But what have we learned? What are we taking back with us uh, to our communities and activating? Or what are you taking back personally uh, with you? Who wants to go first? First of all, you're not alone, and that is so important. You can't get yourself in, in, into a Parkinson's bubble if you're not very careful. And I really do appreciate the fact that people from so many backgrounds, so many levels of education, so many so social areas uh, are all struggling with the same problems I am. I've learned that greatly, particularly the, 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 this, this particular WPC. For me, it's been my fourth WPC, but probably the hardest, and whether it's been the travelling or the heat, I don't know, but um, I don't feel like I've been able to get to as many things as I wanted to due to some of the um, the things I had to do with the Cure Parkinson's Trust. I don't mean that offensively to the Cure Parkinson's Trust, just logistics-wise, it hasn't always flowed right for me, but it's been great seeing people and meeting people. Uh, so this is my second World Parkinson's Congress. Uh, the first one back in uh, three years ago in Portland, I was really just a fly on the wall. Uh, I was really able to just sit back and absorb everything. This time I was much more actively involved. I gave four talks over the course of the first three days, and it really left me unable to absorb as much as I wanted to. But uh, I was grateful for the chance to contribute and hopefully helped uh, bring a little bit more of the patient voice to the whole endeavor that we're doing here. I'm leaving here absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of energy going on all around the globe, not just in Eastern Europe or Western Europe or the Americas or not just in Asia, but all over the entire world. There are people who are working hard, smart people, working hard at research, pulling together research, putting together programs to make sure that those of us with Parkinson's don't have to suffer with it much longer. There's a few things that come to mind. I'd, lo I'd love to get your reaction to them. One of the things that really is, is apparent is that it's 2019, and we need to just stop referring to it as Parkinson's. We need these uh, the, these subdivided portions of Parkinson's so we can begin to attack them individually, uh, whether it's male versus female or old versus young or symptom versus symptom or, you know, or, or ethnically. There's, a, there's so many different types of Parkinson's. We, we, we have to stop putting it under one label. I think that's, I think everybody agrees about that, but now we got to just do it, right? You know, it's, what's encouraging is the researchers are starting to look at things that way. I mean, there's those people with whom Parkinson's maybe have its origins in the gut versus those people for whom the origins are in the brain. I don't think we would have heard that kind of discussion three years ago. Yeah, but I still think, why is it taking so long? It, everything just is taking so long, and they need to listen to patients much, much more. I think beyond listening to patients, I think they need to involve patients and involve patients in, in, in design and the practicalities of what, of what they're doing. Some of the work that needs, needs to be done doesn't require particular expertise other than that of having Parkinson's. Uh, and yeah, well, I agree that I think we need to move towards subdividing this disease into many different diseases. How we actually do that is very difficult. And one of the problems that I've seen here... And, it's kind of a problem that's a tough one to even think about how to start to tackle is that the research community, there's like little niches that have developed. Like there's the microbiome people, there's the geneticists, there's the stem cell researchers, and they all come at it from their angle. And they kind of want to subdivide it based on what they see. But there's just very few people actually trying to bridge all those gaps and take a 
really comprehensive and a holistic view that will enable us to actually, I think, truly get to the subdivisions that we really need. Well, that's where we come in hand, right? Because we, we know it better than they do. So we can begin to subdivide for them and tell them what we want and demand it because we're raising the money that's populating these charities. So if, if we take action, if we take control, if we take ownership of this, we can turn the tables. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for too long we've sat back and let let them go at their own pace. And I mean, I was diagnosed, like I say, over 12 years ago, and I was told at the time, you know, you're looking at five to 10 years. There's not much really happened in those five to 10 years, I don't think. Not enough. Not quick enough. No, not quite. Leave it up with the gold standard medication or the gold standard therapy, let's put it that way, has been on the market for 60 years, believe it or not. And it's still the only one that's truly effective on a day to day basis. Why? Good question. Why? The other thing that I noticed uh, is the language we're using is hurting us. It's hurting the research. It's hurting the momentum for, uh, for getting the general public excited about what we're doing because we've framed everything around the search for a cure. And we know that's not going to happen. There's not one cure. There's not one bullet. Uh, it's, it's incremental. And it's, it's going to take a long time, but we do need disease modification, and we do need to find a biomarker, and we do need to figure out how to cap the symptoms from onset. Um, and by reframing it from cure to something else, those little incremental steps that the researchers are having don't become disappointments because, well, we still don't have a cure. It may become, look what we did now and look what we did now. And it builds momentum and people start getting excited. Right now, everything that the researchers do, if it falls short of a cure, won't make a headline anywhere. Yeah, I agree. We need some more actionable milestones. We need to like set real uh, uh, thresholds that we need to cross and then celebrate those thresholds like you were saying before uh, it's it's just shooting for basically shooting for the stars which is the cure um, while that's a laudable goal and while that might help raise funding in the general public it might not be a goal that we can reach anytime soon so we need steps along the way that we can hurdle past if we're going to really make progress. We need to look more at things like exercise and diet and um, holistic alternative therapies that will help us and things we can do ourselves. It's not just about popping pills, we know that, but a lot of you know doctors and that will just do that for their patients. They're diagnosed and they're just write out a prescription instead of teaching patients and empowering them. Yeah, I agree with that, but beyond that, we we need to understand that we are a political with a small P force, and it's about having that joint enterprise which says this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, not what you the researchers are going to do, or you the politicians are going to do, this is what we're going to do. And that's the way cancer has brought itself right to the fore in terms of fundraising and research, by saying we're the patients, we know, we're telling you. We need to get the same bag. You know, it's an interesting question. Are the researchers willing to listen? I'm certain they would be. I hope so. I don't, I don't think we have a hostile audience out there at all. So it's really a question of extending a hand and saying, let's work together, from my point of view. Yeah, I, I often wonder if we as a patient community should try to be, even be more hostile. I mean, that's how AIDS activism really sparked a, a revolution in that field. Uh, I, I look around and sometimes I feel like as a group we might be a bit too passive. Maybe that's the apathy that comes with this disease. But I also see a lot of energy and a lot of people that want to push things forward. But I guess we need to kind of come together and decide how we're going to direct all that energy. Yeah. 
and stop that with the politeness for a long time people have listened you know the doctor knows best and you know you don't argue with them you accept what the doctor says but no we've got to stop speaking up for ourselves more one of the things I, I found, not only this WPC but others, is I'm dealing with a, a very nice crowd of people, B, who are saying, solve this, Parkinson's is not, not going to rule my life. We're all heroes, every one of us. There are people who are bigger and more talented heroes than I am. But every single person who's got Parkinson's is a hero in their own life. The problem is, it doesn't present as a difficulty. Well, solve this, I'm going to get on with it. Isn't it good? And it, off you go, Dave. And, and no one takes any notice about my real problems, which are locked in my soul. And no one, no one thinks in that way. We need to be thinking about what is it that really affects the lives of people with Parkinson's, their families, their relationships, their own psychology. We don't. And we, we just say, we're heroes. We're going to get on with this. And it's not, it's, it's not the right message to, to, to get out there, not in my view anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think language and, and the way we portray our, our, our disease is really important. Uh, and, like, if you watch a public service announcement for Parkinson's, they show somebody in a cape walking down the street. we got a big walk, you know. Yeah. They look, yeah. at, look at the hero. But if, if you look at a smoking, uh, uh, if you look at ca- lung cancer and, and the pictures they yeah. have on the side of c- cigarettes, they're showing the ugly. Yeah. We never show the, no. the drooling guy in the wheelchair because that would not be a hero. Yeah. And we need to get rid of that. We need to shock people. We do, but we do that. That is so right. I mean, people are very kind of me and say, Dave, you scrub up. Well, I want to go out and put a jacket on. Yes, I can. They don't see me at 3 o'clock in the morning when my mouth is gaping. I've had no, no, no medication inside me. As you say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm drooling. My eyes are watering because I can't make my eyes quickly enough. They never see that side of it. And the fact I have to call my wife because I can't get to have a pee, that's the bit they don't see. All you see is Dave Murray who scrubs up well. It's that expression. I might have Parkinson's. Parkinson's doesn't have me. I hate it because it does have a have us. It does, and we've got to stop with the vanity as well. Yeah, we have got to be more real and honest to the public and to to ourselves as well. I guess the question is, what is the message that we need to get out there, and to what end? Is it that we need more money? Is it we need more bodies? Is it need more sympathy? Is it we need more energy? I mean, what what is it that we need to accomplish? What is it that's going to get us there? Faster research, I think, and clinical trials. The method. I mean, I was on a clinical trial that worked, but it failed. Um, it improved me 63%, but it'll. I won't get that drug anymore. Um, and it was even. It was almost worse having something that helped and then have it taken away. So clinical trials need to be looked at. The way that we that they are approached, the methodology, um, how long they take, the amount of money that's wasted. There's so many frustrating things. You know, the one statistic that I heard here this week that really was distressing to me is 85% of clinical trials yeah. never get off the ground because yeah. they don't get they don't get subjects who are willing to come forward and participate. And they don't so get us to come forward. So much money. We're talking billions of dollars lost every year. It's just shameful, really. The the one thing, the one bright. Well, there's a lot of bright points to this. I, I, I don't want to say that the, the WPC is great. I mean, I, I really think this is a, a terrific event. Uh-huh. And I don't I don't want this to come across that we're angry about the WPC. Yeah. There's just frustrations because we're, we're not being, we're not patients. Yeah, we're impatients. Patient, patient, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the one thing that really, uh, I was, you know, when, when Tom Isaac's uh, uh, widow went up there and she had the keynote address of the conference yeah. to put... So a, a caregiver, caretaker, a person that's a partner in Parkinson's, whatever you want to call that person. That that that, that she's my, my my wife is my partner, uh, but to put them front and center, 
That's a change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important change because they are as important as I am because they're they're living this every minute of every day with me. And and that really made me happy to see. Uh, And so I I hope that's a trend that continues. And I hope that they have programs for for care partners because I I think it's I I know I want my wife to have as much support as she can get because she's she's helping to she's doing most of the child rearing and she's the house and like I come home and I'm exhausted and so she's 24 7 and you're so lucky your wife was here with you and like your husband's here with you as well you you don't know how lucky you are having that support because my other half can't cope with it he runs a mile as far as he's he's concerned it doesn't exist it doesn't happen Parkinson's and it's you know I've had it nearly 50 well 15 years of symptoms and it's hard when you live with somebody who won't accept it or acknowledge it and they need help they do that is extremely important and and we don't pay enough attention to the psychology of of the family dynamic i mean we we all know the plenty of marriages break up under the strain of if if my wife left me i'd be heartbroken i wouldn't blame her i wouldn't blame her yeah i mean it's hard for the whole extended family as well a lot of them i mean even beyond the primary care partner whatever you want to call it uh educating the wider like your friends and your family and your whole circle as well is a challenge that I think a lot of people have difficulties with uh, and it's something that um, there, there's no like great model to follow as well as to how to actually do that all right so let's wrap this up uh, let's one thing that you're going to take away uh, an interaction or just sort of a happy uh, a positive thing that, that you can take home that you can offer folks at home who maybe didn't get a chance to travel here Mine's actually a very personal one. Um, I did speech therapy, one of the speech therapy programs, several years ago, and my voice got louder and stronger and more clear and more audible. And I've done nothing about that over the last number of years. I haven't gone for checkups. I haven't done my exercises. I haven't done my homework, if you will. And as someone pointed out today, it's no different than seeing the dentist. It's best to see the dentist maybe a couple times a year, but brush your teeth every day. So what I'm taking home is a need for me to work on myself a little bit better to make sure the gains that I can make, I keep on making and continue over time. Yeah, so it comes back to one thing that I learned pretty early on in this disease course as I came to know people and that while I hate the fact that I've had to meet all of you, I'm grateful for the fact of it as well. Uh, because you do meet a lot of very interesting people. I, I mean, just yesterday I met the most courageous and outstanding woman I've ever met. Her name was Caroline Jackson. But she was just an absolute warrior. And she's been struggling with his disease, I think, for almost two decades now. And just hearing her story and hearing how she, she's persevered despite everything she's gone through was really inspiring. And it really, really struck home for me, I think, what... The biggest takeaway of these conferences for me is just the people you meet along the way. Absolutely, I totally agree with what you've said there, Ben. It it overwhelms me, actually, you know, how much I care and love these people and feel proud to be a part of it. It's like a family, really, it is. And, yeah, like you said, Ben, sometimes I wish I wasn't part of it, but Parkinson so far has given me more than it's taken. And it has changed me and made me a better person, I think. I wish I wasn't last, last in the group to speak because you, you stole most of my thunder. But I, I did have the good fortune to meet someone ye- yesterday for the first time who thought a very similar way to what I do about the inner soul and how you need to nourish yourself. Otherwise, you're no use to those around you. So the World Parkinson Congress 2019 has concluded. The drummers are drumming. We're off to Barcelona, Spain. And I'm making my way to Eli Pollard to 
Lucy, if she has some final thoughts, she is the executive director of the World Parkinson Coalition. Okay, Larry. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. So uh, here, here we are. It's, it's done. How's it feel? Wow, it's a mix of emotion. Obviously, I'm really happy. The meeting went incredibly well, I think. Um, obviously, I'm sad. It was three years of planning for this incredible meeting. And uh, it's ending. So there's a bit of a mixed emotion. But I think overall, we achieved what we wanted to achieve. And that is, you know, really introducing incredible excitement and enthusiasm. They're tearing down the set. Do you want to go over here? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> sit here. So I think, um, you know, the enthusiasm that we saw from the Japanese Parkinson's community was what I was hoping we would see. I think I heard um, from a couple of doctors on our local organizing committee that they spoke with their patients and that their patients in some instances were actually crying because they were so moved by what they saw. And they said, I can do things. I can do things. I don't have to stop living my life. And now I can see that I can do things. And that is exactly what we wanted to achieve here. Amazing. And that was amazing. But you know what was also amazing is that the doctors got to see that their patients didn't even quite realize that they could continue to do things. The doctors need to believe in their patients. And they need to tell the people with Parkinson's, I expect more of you. You can do more. They have to really believe it, too. And I think the doctors also, that particularly the Asian doctors, also saw that they play a role in this positivity and this can-do sort of attitude. And they need to be on board with that as well. And I feel like a lot of doctors got that this week and uh, makes me very happy. Are you hearing of any themes that are sort of bubbling under and may take off and may... may uh may extend into the communities as people go home that maybe you weren't expecting? Well, I mean, a couple of things I've heard, um, people are really excited about the focus on nutrition as one aspect of health and well-being that people can personally make decisions about. And you can control that. You can control that, right? Your doctor doesn't tell you what to eat. You control what you eat. And The takeaways, you know. Yes. It's really powerful. I feel like there's some real enthusiasm with that, more so than even in the past. And people are realizing that there's actually research being done and people are actually learning about this and there are things. They actually now have information and knowledge that they can share. Before, it was just an idea. Now they're actually doing research on it. But that's exciting. And I think that's a bit of a takeaway. Um... There's more conversation about young onset, particularly young onset Parkinson's and raising families. There seems to be more openness about this conversation, about what does it mean to be raising a family and working. And people have always talked about young onset Parkinson's, but I feel like there's more dialogue just about the family. We had more people bringing their children than I've ever seen at the Congress, which I actually really loved. And we even had, you know, our friend Andy McDowell on the stage with his two uh, pre, one a preteen, one a teen daughter. Um, powerful. I was there. Super powerful, right? That's never happened before. And I feel like, you know, people, you know, it's one thing to bring a five-year-old. It's nothing to bring a 12-year-old. 12-year-old gets it. They see things. They understand things more than a small child. And and I feel like that, uh, that was kind of a cool experience for me to see that people it, it was like a family mm-hmm. WPC was a family experience almost it, and it was for could, me too for you too I know and that could be a theme we might see more of in Barcelona and now that people have seen people bring children um, and that might happen more and, and my son will be 12 going on 13 at the next one 
So right. watch out. Watch out. All Maybe right. Maybe he'll be on the main stage. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's prep him. Well, uh, on behalf of the Parkinson's community, thank you for all you do. It's really an amazing event, and we all had a fabulous time. You thank should be you. really proud of what you and your team did. It's just just amazing. And, you know, I know we all cried more than once this, yep. this week, and, uh, and, and we've all made lifelong friends. Yeah, good. Me because too. Because of you. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to serve. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. We'll see you in Barcelona. Barcelona. Are we going to do the podcast again? Absolutely. Whenever you're ready. Let's do it. Let's start it up. Okay. <laughs> well, we're not going to come down and fight you. <laughs> and now here I am on a train headed back to Kyoto Station. So as we conclude our time and preparations begin for WPC 2022 in Barcelona, I want to thank you for listening and for following my journey. WPC 2019 was a bonus season for my podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. If you're new to this pod, good news, there's more. Like right now, go back to episode one, where I share my personal, or our personal journey with Parkinson's. My wife, Rebecca, my son, Henry, and I share our trials and triumphs as authentically as we know how. If you've already discovered a season one, there will be a season two, beginning in September. From Kyoto, Japan, for Curious Cast and the World Parkinson Coalition, this is WPC 2019. Special thanks to Eli Pollard and her team at the World Parkinson's Coalition. Visit WPC2019.org to learn about the 5th World Parkinson Congress, a global Parkinson's event that opens its doors to all members of the Parkinson's community, including those living with the disease. And make plans today to join us for WPC 2022 in Barcelona. You can take a look back on some of the great memories of WPC 2019 on the hashtag WPC 2019 or on Twitter at WorldPDCongress. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, be sure to rate it. Give it a five, folks. Come on now. Review, subscribe for free. Search for When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. WPC 2019 is written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Dila Velazquez is our story producer. Sound designed by Rob Johnston. Thanks for listening and have a great week. We'll talk again in September. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.